well because we forget to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's when things can kind of spiral out of control. We get distracted, deceived, and then we get really self-dependent, which we can do some awesome things because we're a rich nation. But if it's not empowered by the love of Jesus, and if it's not guided by Jesus Christ, then the Bible teaches us that anything that we do in our own strength is kind of worthless. Now, it might not be worthless in, in this world. We can do some good things. So I don't want to totally um, throw it all in the garbage. There are some good things. But in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about eternity, life and death, heaven and hell, doing stuff in our own power is worthless in the scheme of eternity. And so that's where we're going this morning. And I thought that was a great tie-in to the message. So I wanted to highlight that. And also, it's crazy, the more you preach, as you're preaching and studying, it seems like whatever you're studying that week kind of shows up in your life in some way. And so we're preaching this morning on Laodicea, the church of Laodicea. It's the last church to the, in, the, in the series that we're, we're doing of the seven. And you're probably all familiar with it, maybe not with the city so much, but with the words being lukewarm, right? And what does Jesus say? He says he's going to spit you out of his mouth. He's going to vomit you up. Well, last night, my little guy was puking all through the night, so maybe I need to pick better things, cleaner things to, to preach about. Anyways, that's a joke that I thought was going to be funny and wasn't really, but that's okay. <laughs> Story of my life. My wife never laughs at my jokes. I'm usually the only one that laughs. I'm the funniest person I know, but no one else seems to think so. Anyways, well, when I was in college, back in my college days, I had the privilege of spending some time in Jerusalem. I had a motorcycle that I had to sell to get there, and I don't, I don't regret doing that. I liked the motorcycle a lot. It was a Honda Shadow. I looked tough when I rode it, but I, I sold it, and I sold it to go to the trip because it was kind of expensive, but I took a class over there. I got to spend a month traveling. We stayed, we actually stayed in this like school hotel thing that was in the wall of Jerusalem. Like I slept in the wall of the city of the old city of Jerusalem. Super cool. So I spent the month there. It was a geography class. We traveled all over the entire nation of Israel, which isn't that big. I think it's like the size of New Jersey. But we take an hour, two hour, three hour bus trip from here to there. I saw the Sea of Galilee. I took a boat out on the Sea of Galilee, which was really, really cool. Uh, thinking about being in the storm with the disciples when they're in there. And I mean, you got to see it in person. I got to see where David and Goliath fought their battle, the Valley of Elah, and and understand why the Philistines and the Israelites fought here. There's a bunch of strategic stuff that has to do with the land. Trade routes, super important. I got to be honest, I was expecting it to be pretty mystical, like, oh, Jesus walked in this ground. And it wasn't really it was a lot less mystical than I thought it was going to be. And mystical, I mean like, I don't know if there's like this spiritual vibe or you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't that. After a while, King Solomon's temple and Herod's temple, they all kind of just look like a pile of rocks when you're all said and done. It's like, look at that pile of rocks. That was this. It was like, it's a pile of rocks, you know? So it was cool, but it wasn't as mystical as, it, as I thought it was going to be. The coolest thing for me while I was over there, and this was cool, it was super helpful, setting things, giving you a new appreciation for the Bible. And they didn't make this stuff up. When they talk about this guy went up from this town, you can see it and say, yeah, he went north. That's a real thing. So a lot of that stuff plays in and it gave me a new appreciation of the scriptures. But the coolest thing was going to different sites and then reading stories from the Bible where they, they most likely happen. 
And the one thing that I really appreciated was reading the words of Jesus when he would teach in different locations. So I'm standing at um, the Temple Mount on the steps facing south down the huge valley out of Jerusalem. And on my left is the Kidron Valley, and on my right is another valley that I forget the name of. But the Mount of Olives is up on the left. And on that, that slope of the valley are a bunch of white tombstones, okay? So we're standing on the steps of the temple, and Jesus is teaching all of the Pharisees and the temple leaders at this time, and he reads these words, well, he says these words from Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and every unclean thing. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And this is just one of many examples that I could take you back to where Jesus is using his surroundings to teach and educate, to put things in, into words that we can understand. Super cool to see that in person. And he's at it again with us here from heaven as he speaks to the church of Laodicea. It was cool as I was studying this, I, got, I, I was thinking, man, this is another confirmation that these are the words of Jesus. Because the same teaching strategy, the same way that he was teaching when he was walking on this earth, when he comes back and is talking to John out of heaven, he's doing the exact same stuff. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain. The city of Laodicea, the city of Laodicea was crazy affluent, like super, super wealthy for its day. It was located at this crossroads. All this commerce was happening there. They had three different big booming industries. They had a textile industry where they made these baller, like wool, black wool clothing. It was kind of like Paris, like super fashion, chic. They're a, a huge clothing industry that was just going crazy, going gangbusters. They also were full of a bunch of financial institutions. There were bankers that would give the Swiss a run for their money here, okay? So they got clothing, they got banks, and they have this medical industry going on. That's kind of like in the same vein as this new essential oil. How many of y'all into the essential oils? Some of you are. No one? Yeah, you're timid. You're timid, right? Because it's like, is it medical stuff? Isn't it? We don't know. Homeopathic, right? They're into this stuff. They actually are located by these really rich mineral springs, and they make salve out of out of these, this, I don't know, mud or whatever, and they put it on people's eyes, and it was actually known to cure blindness, certain types of blindness. Rachel Bossman, would, she looks skeptical. Uh, take it up with the history books I read, okay? She's our resident optometrist. Anyways, the claim at least was that they had this salve that they put on their eyes, and it would heal certain types of blindness. So, they're wealthy, wealthy, lots of industry. Also, in this day and age, the homes that people lived in were typically the size of like a parking space, right? Small, and they had their animals live in them. They've been doing excavation in Laodicea, and they're realizing that the average home in Laodicea was, was in the thousands of square feet instead of the hundreds of square feet. And they had, they had indoor plumbing, for real. They had indoor plumbing. Laodicea was kind of or almost like a first world city, at least for their time, okay? And much like the first world of today, they had some first world problems. Their Wi-Fi was super spotty. <sighs> Cell reception, 
their city still hadn't gotten a Chick-fil-A, which I'm like, come on, Napoleon. We'll get a Chick-fil-A here, right? I know, you guys are with me. They had first world problems. I'm not making this up. They didn't have all that stuff. Their first world problem was this. Their coffee was always lukewarm. Lukewarm. I actually don't know if they drank coffee or tea. The problem was that their water was lukewarm. Their water was lukewarm. That was because their water source wasn't close to the city. They had a city to the north called Aeropolis, okay, that had hot springs. People went there to, for the spa treatment. Uh, they're really cathartic, soothing. It's beneficial. Hot water. To the south, uh, Colossae was another city. They had refreshing cool springs, right? You get out, you're bailing some hay, you just need a cool drink of water, you go to Colossae. They got it. Now, they piped in water from both of these cities from an aqueduct, and it was like over six miles away. So the problem was that whether they, they did the cold water or the hot water, it didn't matter. When it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It was nasty tepid. It's, it was disgusting. Undrinkable almost. The kind of water that makes you, want to sick, makes you sick, that might make you want to vomit, right? And so Jesus knows all of this about this city, and he comes out of heaven speaking their language. He's speaking their language. He says, you know, you guys are always complaining about your water, how lukewarm and how gross it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's like being your God and your king. Do you know, you know how super rich you are with all the, the banking and, and how you're fashion trendsetters with all the clothing and how you, you give sight to blind people with your salves? Actually, you couldn't be more poor. You're naked. You're blind. You're blind. Now, as we've seen throughout this series, normally Jesus offers some type of encouragement to the churches. He says, hey, it's me, Jesus. Gives some type of encouragement, gives a rebuke, and then gives a, a word kind of to seal the deal at the end. Well, he doesn't offer any encouragement here, only rebuke. But it's not because Jesus is being unkind, okay? He, his rebuke, we're told, is motivated by love. He's trying to discipline these really wealthy people. It's a tough word, but... Jesus is like a great physician, okay? When we go to Jesus, he's the best doctor that there is. If you have a condition, he is going to tell you what that condition is because he's a good doctor. But he's not all about speaking hard things, okay? He's also, he also has really, really good bedside manner. So when Jesus gives this hard word, he gives this, this hard truth, he gives them a hard diagnosis, he immediately follows it up with a treatment plan. So he doesn't say, well, you guys, wow. You're in a bad way here. Good luck with that. No, he says, here's what your problem is, and here's my treatment plan. Take these pills, take these steps, do this, and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Let's read about it together. Revelations 3, verses 14 through 22. And the angel of the church in Laodicea, or and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you might clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father who is in heaven on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what exactly is the problem with the church at Laodicea? Well, simply put, the Laodiceans are distracted, they're deceived, and they're self-dependent, which means they have nothing to offer Christ and nothing to offer others. My wife jokes with me that I'm kind of a huge baby when I'm sick, and she's not wrong. (laughs) I'm actually pretty worthless when I'm sick. I'm distracted by my aches and pains. I can't really focus or think about anything else. I'm usually a bit deceived about my condition, which is really just a nice way of saying I can be overly dramatic about how sick I actually am. (laughs) Well, you're laughing because Wes is the same way. Yeah, that's right. He's my man, right? I'm overdramatic about how sick I actually am. And I expect to be waited on and served because I'm sick. And I deserve it, right? So I can try and push my way through it on my own strength, but it never really ends well. And that is kind of what is happening with the church at Laodicea. They have the man flu. They have the man flu, but they don't know it. They're distracted. They're deceived. They're relying on their own strength, trying to get stuff done. And because of this, they don't have anything to offer those around them, and they don't have anything to offer Christ. So firstly, they're distracted. If we look back at the text, you can look at where their focus is. When Jesus quotes them, Jesus says, You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Folks, do these words sound like the words of a Christ follower? I don't think they do. It sounds like the word of a self-made millionaire or billionaire, right? I, 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 I. I've done this. I've done that. I made my own way. I don't need anything from anyone. I have all I need. See, their focus is on themselves and their wealth, their comfort, their health, their prosperity, all of their good works. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with health. There's nothing wrong with wealth or prosperity. Actually, These things are gifts from God that are meant to be enjoyed, but they are never meant to consume our entire focus. It's not meant to be what we're we're to pursue. We can't just pursue the gift with no acknowledgement of the giver, okay? So the Laodiceans, they've been sucked in by the lure of wealth. They've been hypnotized by the comforts and luxuries of the world. These things have become the only things that they pursue. They've stopped serving Jesus. They've stopped serving Jesus, and now they're just serving their own comfort. They're distracted in their pursuits. And if you're a Christian, you follow Christ. It's what you do. Like the Geico commercials say, if you're a Christian, you follow Christ. It's what you do. The Laodiceans, they're just following the path of least resistance. The one with the most comfort, the one with the most luxury in it for them. If the path, if that path, the path of comfort, the path of security, the path of luxury, if that occasionally intersects with the way of Jesus, awesome. But don't try and get me off this path to follow Jesus. Don't try and get me off that, right? They'll follow Jesus as long as it's comfortable. So their focus is off. They're distracted by wealth, luxury, comfort. Heaven sounds nice, but if they're honest... It's only a bit of an upgrade 
from their current life. They're very at home in this world with little urgency or little longing for heaven. Now, I don't know where you're at in your life. Some of you might really be longing for heaven because this life is hard. But I imagine there's a group of us in here that, if we're honest, yeah, heaven sounds pretty good, but our lives are pretty good right now, pretty comfortable with how we're living. I don't say that to shame anyone. Some of you have been tremendously blessed by God, which is an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing, but there are dangers that come with that. We can become too focused on this world, too content in this world, that we forget where our true citizenship lies. So on top of being distracted and out of focus, these people are deceived. They're deceived. They think that everything is awesome, like the Lego song. Everything is awesome, right? They're deceived. <laughs> they, think they're, they think everything is awesome. And this is such an easy, easy trap to fall into as Christians who have a lot of stuff. We are so materially driven in our culture we, that we, we can equate success and faith with more stuff, with more power, with more money. If you're gaining more, God must be pleased with you and what you're doing. You must be on the right track. God must be blessing you. You must be on the right track. If you're prospering or your church is prospering, then you must have a lot of faith. Jesus must be all about you. He's blessing your socks off, right? Maybe, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. See, faithful or fruitfulness and prosperity are one or one or two of many markers for divine favor. They're not the only markers of being blessed by God. The Bible speaks of a lot of other things that, that could mean God's hand is on you, his favor rests on you. The Bible speaks about perseverance and long-suffering, enduring through hardships, having joy when you should have no joy, being content when you have little as well as when you have much. See, if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking that the only measure of God's favor is found in the amount of health, wealth, and prosperity that we receive. And for those who are experiencing an abundance of those things, they can be lured asleep and deceived into thinking that they have it all figured out and are in need of nothing from God. Now this leads to the root of this church's problem the core of what's going on here. They are no longer depending on Jesus. They're doing good works. They're doing a lot of good works. This city and this church is active. They're doing all sorts of social justice things, offering all kinds of programs and classes, feeding the poor. Money is no object for them. So they're just, they're making it rain, Oprah style for the city. You get a new building, you get a car, you get a program, you get a soup kitchen, you get all of this stuff, right? It's no big deal for them. The church is sponsoring all kinds of crazy good stuff. But the problem is they're doing it all in their own strength. And this is kind of a terrifying thought for me. I wonder kind of nervously about this sometimes. What if one day the Holy Spirit would leave me? Or leave crossroads? Would anybody notice? Would it make any difference at all in what we do and what I do personally? Would anybody notice? It's kind of a terrifying thought. The reality is the church in America is really powerful by worldly standards. We have tons of resources, lots of money. 
And we do amazing things. The church in America does a lot of amazing things. But if the things we're doing are not motivated by an authentic love for Jesus or empowered by the love of Jesus, then they're worthless. If we don't have the guidance and direction and empowerment of the love of Jesus and his Holy Spirit, then the Bible says we're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We have no refreshment to offer offer to the thirsty world. We have no healing to offer a hurting world. We aren't cold and we're not hot. We're lukewarm and we make Jesus want to puke. Now, here's what I love about Jesus' treatment for the lukewarm church. This is amazing. I always thought this was kind of a negative passage, but it's actually super encouraging. It's actually really encouraging. You see, our natural thought when we hear a message like this is say, okay, what can we do? We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot. We want to be cold. We want to be, we want to be on fire for Jesus, right? We want, to, we want to make a difference. So what do we can do that's going to fix, fix the nausea that, that Jesus has? Surely there is something that we can offer him. Surely there is something that we can do. And there is, but I'm guessing it's not what you're thinking, unless you got your gospel hat on this morning. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping many of you do. You see, listen to what Jesus tells the people who have everything. They're healthy, wealthy, wise. They have all the power. They have all the control. They own the businesses in the town. They're the leaders in the community and the church. They have the white houses with the picket fences and the dogs. They're pretty and attractive. Their clothes are always in, so in, on trend, whatever you want to call it. They have it all together. What does Jesus want from this people? He wants them to come and buy from him. Now to us, that might not sound like that big of a deal. They're rich people. Of course Jesus would say that. But let me put a little different spin on it, okay? How many of you have seen MTV Cribs, right? It's where some rich guy's like, hey, come on in, you broke people, and come look at my wealthy stuff, right? So imagine that you get to take a tour with one of these crazy rich people. And as you're walking through all of it, every time he's like, check this out. It's made of bald eagle. Check this out. Gold plated. And you're like, eh, that's okay. I mean, the gold plating on my toilet is way higher quality. Look at my clothes, right? White panda, super cool. Yeah, my fashion designer has a lot cooler stuff than that. If, if you're gonna wear that, you probably have to be blind, right? You guys, you should come buy. You should shop where I shop. You should, you should buy what I have. So Jesus comes to someone who has all of the money in the world. They think they can buy everything, and they have bought most of it already. And Jesus says, "You guys are poor." You're naked and you're blind. You should come buy what I have. And naturally, they're probably like, well, how much does it cost? And that's where we need to talk about the currency of heaven. The currency of heaven. See, all the money in the world has only been able to purchase garbage in comparison to what Christ is selling. So how can they buy what he's selling? What is the currency of heaven? It's grace. Grace backed by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, all their wealth and wisdom are worthless before Jesus. The only way you can purchase anything from Christ is through grace. They don't have anything to offer. They aren't worthy. They're poor, naked, lime, blame, lame beggars. But if they will come to him in humility, if they come in humility acknowledging that they don't have anything to offer other than their helplessness, their brokenness, their sinfulness, their sickness. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll make a trade with you. 
I'll make a trade with you. It seems like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Now, when we come to Jesus, we have a couple options. We have a couple options. We can come celebrating our sin. And we can kind of give Jesus the business. Well, thanks Jesus, but I've got this. i got it all figured out. Got it all under control. I like what I've got. I don't really want what you're selling. I'm out of here. That's one attitude we can have, right? I think what you're selling is worthless compared to what I have. I'm good. Or we can come to Jesus complacent about our sin. Yeah, okay, Jesus, I've got some issues. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But I'm not as bad as the guy down the street. I'm, I'm not great, but, but I'm, I'm decent, right? You stack my, I'm okay, I'm okay. You can, why don't you, why don't you erase my slate clean and then I'll just do the rest. I'll just do the rest. I'll just keep trying to do my best and I'll just do the rest by myself. And, and yeah, I might sin sometimes, but I'll just come to you when I need that. And you can just leave me on my own business and I'll just do my own thing. And when I need forgiveness, then, then I'll come back and I'll come see you and we'll get that slate clean again and then we'll, we'll start all over, okay? I just, I'll just go to church on Sunday and do my Hail Marys and stuff and then I'll live however I want the other six days a week. It's being complacent about sin. There's no brokenness. Or we can come to Jesus and confess our sin. Lord, I'm a mess. I have nothing to offer you but my sin. I can't do what I want to do. I can't do anything. My best efforts, on my best day, I still fall woefully short. I've got nothing. I'm poor. I'm naked. I'm blind. Will you save me? Will you love me? Will you be strong in my weakness? I hope you realize that the only way to come to Jesus is the last way. That's how we receive his grace. Grace is undeserved favor. So to receive grace, it means that you need to come to the person offering it and acknowledge you don't deserve it, right? I can't buy this. I, all I can do is beg all, and receive. Beg and receive. That's who we are before Jesus. You see, a broken and contrite spirit, the Bible says, God will not despise. Only those who acknowledge their need and come broken and contrite before Jesus in humility are able to buy the gold, clothing, and eye ointment that Jesus is selling. Crossroads, we live in a crazy and fluent country. We have tons of money, right? We live better than anyone else in the entire history of mankind has ever lived. That's not an overstatement. With all of the modern luxuries and everything that we have, we live like kings used to live. <laughs> we live like kings used to live, okay? So we need to take heed of Christ's word to Laodicea. As long as America is what it is, the lure of comfort and riches will always be present, and we must take care never to become lukewarm. We can't allow ourselves to become distracted. We can't allow ourselves to pursue wealth and comfort over Christ. We can't allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking that because we're prosperous, God is always pleased with us. And we must take care never to become so self-reliant and dependent upon wealth that our endeavors for Christ don't require faith in Christ or power from his spirit. That's a big one. I'm going to say that again so that you get it. We have to take care so that we won't become so self-reliant and dependent upon our wealth that what we do for Jesus doesn't require faith or the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We have to stay focused on Christ. We have to guard our hearts from the lure of wealth and seduction of luxury. 
We got to cultivate a heart of brokenness and humility before God. I'm not talking about celebrating sin here, but being honest about the sins that we have and the need for Christ that we have. Here's the encouragement. By God's grace, I think this is who God is making us to be. Okay? I was talking with a friend of mine who goes here. Their parents visited a year or two ago for a child dedication. They go to a church in the community. That's a good church. It's an older church. And she said, you know, we talk a lot about loving our neighbor and making space for anyone and everyone at our church, for the broken, for the lost. We talk a lot about that at my church. But when I come and worship at Crossroads Napoleon, I see it. You guys actually do that. It doesn't matter from what walk of life that anybody comes in to your facility to be a part of your community. They're welcome here. It doesn't matter. They're welcome here. And my heart kind of swelled with pride when I heard that encouragement, not because of what Wes or I are doing, but because of what Christ is doing, and specifically because what Wes and I have been praying for this body. You see, we have been praying. We have been praying for years that God would make us, our community, as diverse as Henry County is diverse. That God would bring people from every walk of life, from every tribe, from every social class, that he would bring all kinds of people here, that he would gather us together so that when people walk in and they look at us, they would say, what in the world do these people have in common, right? I see that guy and that woman. And what, what do they have in common? They all like motorcycles? What is it? And the only answer to that question would be Jesus. That's what we have in common. No, this person's an alcoholic. This person's a struggling porn addict. This person's divorced. This person's been divorced three times. This person's been happily married for 50 years. They're a wealthy business owner. What do they have in common? Jesus. The only thing that unites us are not shared passions, are not shared hobbies. No. What unites this body is Jesus Christ. That's a compelling community. That's really compelling because it, doesn't, it, means, it, it means that it doesn't matter where you're at in life, what you've done, what you've said, how you've lived, there will always be a place for you here to receive the love of Jesus, to receive a cool drink of water, the refreshing drink of a rebuke and a correction, of an encouragement, of affirmation, the cathartic warmth of love and healing for the broken and the sick. See, that's what we've been praying. And so when I look out at all of you, and I know many of your stories, I think, man, God, you are answering our prayer. What in the world does this church have in common with one another? I struggle to find anything else other than Jesus Christ. We're not perfect. And this side of heaven, we never will be. And church, that's the point. That's the point. We are a broken group of people who desperately need Jesus. Doesn't matter where you're at in life, that is true. He found us and he loved us. We know he died for our sins and he raised for our salvation. We're all works in progress, endeavoring to love Jesus more and live lives that reflect his love to others. And by God's grace, He is making us into a church that offers the cool drink of Christ's correction and affection as well as the soothing hot drink of his love and healing. The band can come up. 
It is my prayer that we will increasingly grow in these things. May Christ never allow us to be distracted by comfort and wealth. May he keep us from the deception of pride. And may Jesus overwhelm us with gratitude as we embrace our ever-present need of him and his sustaining grace. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks that you loved us all while we were still sinners. Father, may we never forget that. May we never forget where we came from, where we've been, and how much we need you. Lord, wealth, luxury, comfort are gifts from you, and I pray that you would enable us to enjoy them, but Lord, protect us from being distracted by them. Help us keep our eyes on you through it all so that we might sing it as well. You're a good father, Lord. We praise you for your goodness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us and sing, Good, Good Father? Mm-hmm.